The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome to Apologetics show number eight on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Phil Stone, and we have, as usual, our guest, Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Welcome back to you as usual, my Lord. Oh, thank you for having me. And of course, as usual, we are using the text, The Defense of the Catholic Church by Francis X. Doyle, SJ. And in this show, we continue our exploration of Jesus Christ. We've just finished a three-part miniseries on Jesus of Nazareth, and we explored how he claimed to be a prophet, the Messiah, and the Son of God. We also discovered that he claimed divine knowledge and power and that this was a public fact known to all at the time. So in this show, we cover lessons 23 and 24, starting on page 100 of the text. These chapters explore our Lord's miracles and prophecies. And in the next show, we'll go into answering objections to those miracles. So on to lesson 23, entitled, In Proof of His Mission, Christ Uttered True Prophecies. Now, obviously, I must have grown up in some deep, dark jungle or just come out from under a rock if I didn't know that Jesus prophesied or performed miracles. But I know that many people are skeptical and uh, and have objections, so it's very important that it's covered. So there is much to cover in this lesson, um, and the text outlines that it's only going to cover certain prophecies, and they are concerning himself, his disciples, and the fate of the Jews. So I think without further ado, my Lord, uh, if you can take this uh, chapter away. Yes, the miracles and prophecies are the uh, objective norms of proof of the credibility of our Lord's mission and his ultimately his divinity. So uh, that's obviously a very important part. And we have already uh, stated earlier that you know if someone makes prophecies that come true, uh, that which involve future events that only God could know. And if someone does uh, physical miracles, true physical miracles uh, that only God could do, that is a sign of a divine mission, that God is with that person and therefore gives credibility to everything that he's saying and mm. divine credibility. Right. So that's very important in, in the apologetical method. And so here we're going to fill in the blanks of that. Now we have established the principle, and now we're going to look at certain prophecies and, and in the next chapter, certain miracles that our Lord did. Uh, so uh, the first one that the author mentions is that he, our Lord prophesied concerning himself. <clears throat> and uh, uh, it says in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 18 and 19, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him up to, to the Gentiles, 
to be mocked and scourged and crucified, and the third day he shall rise again. Mm. Now the point of the author is that this and other prophecies that we will see are very detailed. You see, that's, that's a very important point about prophecy. It cannot be some general thing. Like, uh, you know, if somebody said in 1938, there's going to be a big war, that's <laughs> not a prophecy. No. Uh, that, that is something that's uh, quite easy to see. Uh, you know, if, uh, if we say uh, Hillary is probably, well, that, that might date our, but, you know, if somebody's going to win a, uh, an election, uh, that's not, well, let's hope she doesn't, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, that, that's, <laughs> that's not a prophecy, you know, when you have polls and other things, that, other indications. So you know, general prediction of future events based on present events is not a prophecy. Mm. But the when you have these details, you see that our that they were plotting against our Lord was was fairly well known. But that he gives these details uh, indicates that he has a a knowledge of the future that could only come from his divine intellect. Yes, because he mentions Jerusalem uh, before he. Uh, this is before he went on his final trip to Jerusalem. So uh, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed. So that's Judas. Then the chief, he mentions the chief priests and the scribes. That's exactly what happened. Mm. They will condemn him to death first in the Sanhedrin. Then they will deliver him to the Gentiles, meaning to Pontius Pilate, the Romans, uh, and they will mock him and scourge him and crucify him, which is exactly what happened. Yes. And on the third day he shall rise again. So this is a very, very detailed description of what will happen to him. And, of course, this is exactly what did happen. Mm. Um, then uh, in Matthew 26, verse 24, uh, we read, uh, The Son of Man uh, goeth, Indeed goeth, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man shall be betrayed. It were better for him if that man had not been born. And Judas, this is still the gospel, and Judas that betrayed him, answering, said, Is it I, Rabbi? And he saith to him, Thou hast said it. So again, we have details. Um, that uh, that there is one man who will betray him. That means somebody who's close to him. This is not some enemy that comes along and finds him, but someone who is close to him will betray him. And uh, and uh, he says it were better for him if that man had not been born, which is an unusual thing to say for just a man. Mm. There is our Lord can foresee his eternal damnation. Now, the church has never said Judas is eternally damned, but almost every theologian and father would, would assume it. Yes. Uh, and, you know, but the church never defined it or, or required that we believe it. And my Lord, it's, it's important for our listeners to um, understand here that uh, Francis Doyle has taken only those prophecies which were fulfilled and those which speak in the greatest detail, even to the point where 
they've italicized, uh, put into italics, the the text that, that describes the details. So if if our listeners are not reading the book uh, along with us, that these are the details that uh, Francis Doyle's gone into to, sh- to show that these were fulfilled and they went into the greatest detail. Yes. So we're uh, then Judas said to him, is it I, Rabbi, of course, knowing that it was, and he saith to him, thou hast said it. Now, thou hast said it is, it is very affirmative in Hebrew. Uh, he will uh, say this to the Sanhedrin and he will say it to Pilate. And it's something like our saying, you said it, which is very emphatic. Uh, it, our expression is a little bit popular, but uh, in this case, our Lord is not saying a popular expression. He's saying something that is quite acceptable as a very strong affirmation. It's much stronger than yes. If I say to you, you said it, that's uh, about one of the strongest affirmations that could be made. So uh, so that, that's, uh, so that of course, was fulfilled uh, in the... Uh, in the night before he died. And then we uh, read in Mark chapter 14, verse 27, and Jesus saith to them, you will all be scandalized in my regard this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep shall be dispersed. But after I shall be risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter saith to him, Although all shall be scandalized in thee, yet not I. And Jesus saith to him, Amen, I say to thee, singular, today even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Hmm. Right. So the the again we get into these details, and this is the most detailed version of the prophecy of uh, concerning the um, the denial of Peter and the cock crowing, uh, and as we as we see later in Mark, uh, he gives the most detailed account of that whole scene where uh, Peter denies Christ, uh, and the reason is that Mark is Peter's secretary. Mm. Uh, Saint Mark went around with Saint Peter everywhere, and so whenever uh, it's sort of like Saint Peter's gospel. Uh, almost, yes. uh, because the these are things that Saint Peter himself related to him, and and uh, so uh, that that's why it's very valuable, and so we get the most detail from Saint Mark on this issue, uh, and uh, so uh, we see all of these details again. You, meaning plural, will all be scandalized in, in, in my regard this night. So what happened? When the soldiers came, they all took off. They all ran away. And uh, I will strike the shepherd, meaning Christ himself, and the sheep shall be dispersed. They all just ran. And But after I shall be risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. And that's exactly where he went after his resurrection. Mm. But uh, Peter said to him, I, I will not deny you. Peter was always um, quick Tell with us. a uh, sort of an, an emotional response. Uh, he was an emotional person and overconfident. <laughs> always overconfident. <laughs> uh, 
and and uh, uh, not distrusting his own self, you might say. Yes. Uh, and and so you know he gets up. Oh, not me! I will not be scandalized. Not me! Not me! <laughs> and he did this out of an excess, you know, as a, 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 I shouldn't say an excess, but out of a loyalty to our Lord. But it was not backed up with real strength and and power. It was mm. just talk, and and emotion. Uh, and so of course he ran off just like everybody else did. Mm. And and then our Lord humiliates him by saying, "Amen, I say to thee," which is a solemn statement to thee, meaning just you, singular. Mm. Today, even in this night, and our Lord is speaking at the Last Supper here, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And of course, that's exactly how it happened. Yes. So, um, so that's another prophecy that our Lord made. And we're on to concerning the disciples now, my Lord. There's three parts of this. There's our Lord prophesied concerning himself, and we've, yes. we've covered that in Lesson 98, and then uh, prophesying concerning his disciples. Yes. Yes. Then in Matthew chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, we read, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up in councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and you shall be brought before governors and before kings for my sake, for a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. <clears throat> but when they shall deliver you up, take no thought how or what to speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what to speak. All right, so again, mm. this is exactly what happened in the Acts of the Apostles. I must admit, I hadn't seen that um, that gospel. Uh, you know, it, it hadn't stuck in my mind. I, that was the first time I've kind of conscious of reading that, and that's really interesting because it talks about. Is he talking there about uh, the the apostles and and what their fate will be after he rises uh, to heaven? Have I read that right? Uh, yes. This all of this was fulfilled in the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, this text. Right. Uh, they uh, uh, were delivered up to the Sanhedrin, uh, and uh, they scourged the apostles. Uh, the Jews did uh, the you know the the same governing Jews uh, that, that put our Lord to death, uh, and uh, they were brought before governors, that is Roman governors, mm. uh, and the Saint Paul was, uh, and before kings, uh, Saint Paul appeared uh, appealed to Caesar. Uh, and uh, for my sake, that means uh, he was St. Paul was in trouble uh, because he was preaching the gospel. Uh, for a testimony to them and to the Gentiles, that means to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Now remember that this is something a little shocking to the to the Jews, uh, that the, the Gentiles would be included in this faith of Christ, this this, uh, religion of Christ. Uh, even St. Peter didn't get this through his head, even after Pentecost, because when Cornelius wanted to find Peter, uh, St. Peter received a vision from God in a dream whereby God showed him all sorts of unclean animals, that is, animals that were considered unclean in the Jewish law. Mm. Uh, just that things that Jews shouldn't touch and shouldn't have anything to do with. And 
And uh, the the vision said, eat these things. And St. Peter protested, no, these are unclean things. And God said back to him in this vision, what I consider clean, you should not consider unclean. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. Yes. He said it better than that. But And that vision happened three times, so that it really made a deep impression on St. Peter. And when he got up, the centurion, or the, the soldier that was sent by Cornelius, uh, the centurion, was knocking on his door. And so St. Peter understood from God that he had to admit the Gentiles into the faith and the church which he hadn't understood. Otherwise, uh, that vision would not have taken place. He would have said to the, to the soldier, look, I'm sorry, but you know, this is for Jews only. Mm. <clears throat> and so the, the idea of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles was something that was uh, uh, shocking foreign and, to and different. Yeah. Yes, uh, you know, the, the Jews had no use for the Gentiles. With reason, the, the Gentiles were terribly debauched and, and full of polytheism and paganism, idolatry. I mean, it was just a, 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 an evil world outside of Judaism. And uh, so the, the preaching to the Gentiles was something that was, uh, was uh, shocking to them. Mm. So th that our Lord mentions the Gentiles is, 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 uh, is unusual. And uh, so, and they shall deliver you up and take no thought uh, or what to speak, for it shall be given to you in that same hour what to speak. And you see the apostles speaking very supernaturally to their persecutors and with really no care about what they say. Mm. Uh, and so you can see that this also is fulfilled. Uh, they are very different people from those who ran away just a few weeks before in the Garden of Gethsemane. These are people that are fearless now because they have the Holy Ghost in them. Yes. So, so going to number 100, Jesus prophesied concerning the fate of the Jews. In Luke chapter 21, verse 24, we read, excuse me, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captives into all nations and Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles. Again, this is exactly what happened in 70 AD when the Roman general Titus laid siege to, the, to Jerusalem. Uh, the city, of course, fell. Uh, most of the people had already died from starvation because of the factions in, within the walls of Jerusalem uh, because they were so bitterly opposed to each other more so than to the Romans, they uh, one of the factions burned up the food supply for the people in Jerusalem. See, there was no food coming in because it was all surrounded by Romans. Yes. So they burned it up, so there was nothing to do but to starve to death. And they were throwing the bodies over the wall. Uh, and even Titus, who was you know, Roman general and who had seen, I'm sure, a lot of uh, blood and guts, mm. let's say, uh, was horrified by what he was looking at. And he made the comment uh, later that their God had abandoned them. Titus did. Um, and uh, they took away 90,000 captives and they dispersed them. 
Josephus, the the most well-known historian of that event, said that 1.1 million people perished in the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And uh, and it was trodden down. Uh, the it was leveled. Uh, there were, I think, one or two towers that survived, but it was leveled. Uh, the the temple was leveled, and and uh, so uh, it, all of that took place. Uh, and uh, it's even commemorated in a in Rome on on the Arch of Titus. Uh, Titus uh, later became emperor in the late 70s AD. And uh, it is uh, it is commemorated. You see a Roman soldier carrying the menorah. The menorah was a solid gold, large seven branch candlestick that stood in the Holy of Holies, and is it's the symbol of Judaism to this day. And they're carrying it off, yeah, solid gold. Uh, and uh, you know, the question: Whatever happened to that? Uh, did they? You know, somebody either they buried it. I mean, it disappeared. I mean, how could you lose something like that? Yeah, well. <laughs> you, know, you know, you'd think that somebody would really take care of that, uh, but uh, it's not to be seen. It's not to be found. So, uh, the uh, uh, in any case, it's you know a historical fact that all of those things came true, and our Lord is predicting this in 33 A.D. It happened in 70 A.D. Um, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, we read, And Jesus, being come out of the temple, went away, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And he answering said to them, Do you see all these things? Amen, I say to you, there shall not be left here a stone upon a stone that shall not be destroyed. Mm. And so the, this refers to the leveling of of Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 34, we read, Amen, I say to you, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Now that's interesting because the apostles asked him a question, what about the destruction of Jerusalem and what about the end of the world? And our Lord answered the question back and forth saying, these things and those things. That is, these things referring to the destruction of Jerusalem and those things referring to the end of the world. Mm. And that's why when you hear that gospel, which is coming up on the last Sunday of, uh, of Pentecost soon, when you hear that gospel, it, it is really going back and forth between things that pertain to the destruction of Jerusalem and things that pertain to the end of the world. So you have to distinguish those two things. Uh, and that's why he says, this generation shall not pass away till these things be done, meaning the destruction of Jerusalem. It seems that most of this uh, whole chapter, um, uh, Matthew 24, uh, is dedicated to this prophecy um, about the fate of the Jews uh, from when he left the temple. Yes. So I, I was having a bit of a yes. look at some fascinating Haydock commentary um, just around this chapter alone. Um, so just for our listeners, if you if you don't have a Haydock version of um, the Douay Reams, you can find it online at uh, Haydock, it's one word, H-A-Y-D-O-C-K, 1859.tripod.com. So Haydock1859.tripod.com. Yes, that's an excellent uh, work. It's very good. Uh, and... Uh... And uh, also, I gave a sermon on this that should be up on on uh, on this very point 
24, the last Sunday after Pentecost, they gave a sermon. All of this is explained by Cardinal B.O. Okay. Uh, because that gospel always, you know, it was hard to understand because certain things didn't fit. The, you know, they, they seem to be all jumbled together. Mm. And the reason why he, they are jumbled together is because the destruction of Jerusalem is a prefiguration of the end of the world. But our Lord clearly distinguished both things, and he goes back and forth between these things and those things, and uh, you know, distinguishing what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, but the the events surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem are similar to the events that will surround the the end of the world. Similar, and and uh, the destruction of Jerusalem is a prefiguration of the end of the world and and the judgment of of peoples. So um, on to question. So then we go. Yes, these prophecies were fulfilled. So uh, uh, concerning himself, we are meant to read chapter, uh, Matthew chapters 26 and 27, but I've already talked about how they're fulfilled. Yes. Uh, concerning his disciples, we should read Mark chapter 14, uh, Matthew chapter 26, Luke chapter 22, and John chapter 18, and the Acts of the Apostles, uh, which I already mentioned. Yes. And then uh, concerning the fate of the Jews, uh, the Jews were led into captivity in the year 70 AD, which I mentioned, and the, the temple and the city were totally ruined. And they, uh, they uh, refer you to Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish general who passed over to the Romans uh, and became an ally of the Romans. And uh, he wrote something called the Jewish War. And he describes it in detail. Uh, if anyone is interested in it, he should read this work. It is a very, very interesting work. He was not a Christian. He did not become a Christian, but he does mention Christ. He mentions the miracles of Christ. He mentions the resurrection of Christ. Mm. And uh, so it, it, his testimony, not being himself Christian, is all the stronger uh, because he's, you know, he's not grinding an axe for Christianity. He's just talking. So, and, and so he mentions these things, and uh, so uh, that if that too is available on, from Amazon, I mean it, it, it's it's very common to get. You know, it's easy to get the Jewish War by Josephus, and he was an eyewitness to it. I'll see if I can find it uh, online if there's an online version, and uh, and put it in the show notes, my lord. Yeah, it, it's hard to put down. It's 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 so <laughs> action packed. It really oh. is. It's a hard book to put down. Uh, and it, it describes all the sufferings, awful, awful things. Uh, even a, a case where a woman put her baby in an oven and and uh, then took it out and ate it. Uh, and yeah, I know, you know. But he's considered a a very um, a very reliable author, you know, because all of his information jibes with other things that we know. And there, there were. He's, he seems to be a, a reliable historian, Josephus. So. And also, because he's not a Christian, he can't be accused of some sort of um, bias to corroborate. Correct. Yes. He, he, it's really a very unbiased. Uh, the only time he might get a little biased or, or negative, we might say, is when he's talking about Herod the Great. <laughs> that <laughs> man, I mean, we only know a little bit. He's the one that killed all the babies on, on you know, the Holy Innocents. Yes. But when you read about 
what he did to his family, murdering members of his family. And he was so, it's in that book, that he, it was so bad that when he was on his deathbed, he knew that the whole population hated him down to the very bone. I mean, they hated him. And everyone just wished he would die. And uh, so uh, he ordered that men be slain in order that when he dies, there will be mourning in the streets of Jerusalem. Yeah, so that that's Herod the Great. They did <laughs> not carry out the order. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, but he was he was like a, a horrid person, my goodness. And uh, there's all sorts of stories about him in there, and, uh, uh, you know, it really gives you an interesting picture of the time. And yeah. the Romans and, every, you know, it's, 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 it's quite a, an interesting book. So, um, in going to number 102, Jesus uttered these prophecies in proof of his mission. In John chapter 13, verse 19, we read, At present I tell you, before it come to pass, that when it shall come to pass, you may believe that I am he. In other words, the Messiah. Uh, in John chapter 5, verse 36, we have the general statement that the works themselves which I do give testimony of me that the Father hath sent me. See, the works means the miracles. That's the term for it in the gospel, the works. In another place, he says, if you don't believe me, in other words, if you don't find me credible, believe the works. That is, I'm doing these things in order to prove my divinity, to, to prove my divine mission. If you don't find me credible as, as someone who demonstrates uh, divinity just by my person, at least believe what I'm doing. And believe because I can do these things. So uh, he was very conscious of the necessity to, uh, to present a credible religion something that people who are reasonable could believe in, and whereby the, the act of faith in him was not some sort of blind loyalty, but was based on real facts that could be verified. And, and uh, so it, it's, it's just another reason why the Catholic faith is the true faith. If you compare heretics and people who have founded other religions. I mean, there's nothing like this. There's no, there's no uh, attempt at all to prove the, the authenticity of the religion by means of miracles and prophecies, in, in, and especially in such an organized way and consistent way, detailed way. It just doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, they had followers because you know they, they for one reason or another, they, you know, they had charismatic personalities or something. But the the uh, when when you compare all of these works, these signs and these miracles, it means all the same thing. Are you telling uh, me that when the uh, TV evangelists get the people up on stage who've got some sort of an illness <laughs> and they you know, push them on the forehead, that that's not a miracle, my lord? <laughs> uh, no, that's not a miracle. Uh, the uh, um, so you know our, our Lord uh, is very conscious because he's going to say uh, before he ascends into heaven that those who do not believe shall be condemned. Mm. That means he has given out all of the motives of credibility why you should believe, why you must believe, 
And if you don't, you are in trouble. You yes. are are denying his divine credibility that he has has shown through these these miracles and prophecies. It's it's not difficult to believe is is the message. Um, uh, uh, you know, I'm getting here. It's not only has he shown with his uh, prophecies and his miracles and his person. So it's not like he's leaving some little thin sliver of evidence. Uh, there's there's abundance of evidence to show. Yes, yes. Um, and then also all of his proofs of, all of his fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. We could do a whole show on that, <laughs> or two shows. I mean, he fulfilled so many prophecies of the Old Testament that the Jews were, were were just loaded with with uh, with proof that this was the true Messiah. Mm. Uh, but that would be a whole other show. Uh, so we won't talk about that now. Uh, but um, so uh, moving on to number 103, that these predictions were true prophecies may be seen from the fact that Jesus, the wisest and holiest of men, was certainly not merely imagining these things, nor guessing. For in John chapter 12, verse 49 and 50, he says, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father who sent me, he gave me commandment what I should say and what I should speak. The things, therefore, that I speak, even as the Father said unto me, so do I speak. So he's mm. very very conscious of what he's doing and saying. It's not somebody that's just ranting and raving or, or guessing or some sort of odd seer or anything like that. He, he's giving divine authority to what he's saying. Yes. <clears throat> and the author correctly points out that uh, it was impossible to predict the minute details of the occurrences from mere guesswork. Uh, somebody can guess the future, uh, but not with minute details. Um, and he says again, to suppose that Jesus deliberately prophesied future events without knowing them is to make him an arch deceiver, an imposter and a fraud conscious all the time of his deceit, which is ridiculous. It's yeah. just absurd. Uh, besides, the accurate fulfillment of his prophecies is certainly an incredible coincidence if his predictions were due to mere guesswork or tricks of the imagination. So, you know, you have to descend into absurdity in order to oppose this. Well, it's, it's more difficult to believe that uh, the prophecies were an, an incredible coincidence than to believe that he actually prophesied divinely. Yes, yes, yes. So that's the end of chapter 23. We move on to chapter 24 now. We would like to remind you that you're listening to Apologetics Show Number 8 on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Phil Stone, and I am joined by His Lordship Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. And today we've been discussing Jesus' miracles and prophecies in proof of His divine mission. Now, as you've just said, my Lord, we'll move on to chapter 24. And uh, I must admit, this is the real meaty stuff that gets everybody interested because everybody likes a miracle. Yes. Yes, well, uh, rightly so, because, again, they they prove the, the divinity of the Catholic Church in the sense of the divine, the fact that it's divinely founded and it's divinely assisted. That's what I mean by that. 
Yes. And uh, the divinity of Christ, uh, the, uh, the it's the foundation of the act of faith. It's the rational foundation. It is mm. faith is not a rational thing, in the sense that it, it you know we do not see with reason what we believe by faith. That's important to That's understand. Right. But faith does require a rational foundation. That is, we must see a reason to believe. Otherwise, we're just throwing ourselves, you know, on on on, you know, just some belief with a, in a very superficial manner without any any kind of reason behind it. Mm. And and that kind of faith is is not a supernatural faith at all. It's just a a type of blind loyalty or something based on feeling. Something that makes you feel good, or or you 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 know you get worked up, like you see those those, those Protestant uh, evangelical meetings and all. People are really worked up that you can see that they're in a, an emotional high. It's not you should not be making an act of faith in an emotional high. You should yes. be making an act of faith when you're cold stone sober. <laughs> or it's, yes. what I mean by that is is when you're calm, when you're rational, when you are reflective, uh, that's because that's when you should make the act of faith because faith is something cold. It is not an emotional thing. It is not a merely a confidence in God. It mm. is something that pertains to the intellect and your intellect is as cold and calculating as your computer. <laughs> right? Is it, it, it is something that that merely perceives without emotion uh, what reality is. As a matter of fact, emotion tends to disturb and cloud the intellect because emotion moves the will to move the intellect in turn to assent to things or dissent from things as they please you or not. So emotion tends to cloud the intellect. So that's why... For example, when we get angry, we, we tend to say things and assume things that later on we regret because the anger is pushing, the, the emotion of anger is pushing the will and the will is pushing the intellect to assent to things without sufficient evidence. When, when left by itself, the intellect is very cold. You know, if it has the, in, the evidence, it assents. If it doesn't have the evidence, it doesn't assent. Yes. But it is subject to the to the movements of the will. Uh, I must admit, my lord, that um, you know I I converted from Protestantism, and uh, you know I've obviously said that before. Uh, when I converted, uh, it took me a while to reconcile the fact that this wasn't an emotional decision. This was a a cold hard um, you know intellectual decision, and and I say to my you know my Protestant family, especially my parents, you know they ask why. I converted, and my simple answer is I can't deny the truth, and it's an intellectual decision. Yes, uh, Catholicism is very, very intellectual, uh, and um, uh, is 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 uh, not very emotional. It's not even very emotional in its liturgical services or or its devotions. It's not. It's not something given to those you know high those emotional highs that you see in Protestantism. Mm, mm. It just never gets there. I mean, sure, there's, you know, some uh, some emotion in it, you know, but it, it always stays on a very rational and high level. That's uh, right. And that's the beauty of Catholicism. That That is uh, the one of the attractive parts of Catholicism 
is that it is so high, it's on such a high level, and that it is all intellectually consistent, mm-hmm. you know, that, that everything makes sense in it. And that, that's what attracts people to it initially. Uh, and that it doesn't, the Catholic Church doesn't abandon the truth even when under tremendous pressure. Mm. Uh, it does not abandon the truth. Uh, yeah, and uh, so it's, uh, there's, you know, there's many, what we call the internal, uh, that is internal to the church. Uh, the church itself is a motive of credibility. That is its history, its nature, uh, its doctrines, uh, all, all of those things are, are motives of credibility. And I, I think for most people, most people don't pick up a, a, and, and do what we're doing today, that is, read the prophecies and miracles of Christ. They are attracted to the church first because they see it from the outside and they say, there's something in that religion that is different from other religions. Yes, there's that absolutely. consistency. There, there's that uh, there, there's there's a depth in it. Uh, it there's that strictness of morality in it, and, and you know there's there's something that's uh, for anyone who is of goodwill and wants to find the true faith uh, it, that is immediately attractive to him. So you know it it it, it gets your attention, uh, and uh, also you know the fact that it produced such a magnificent civilization and all sorts of other things about the Catholic Church that that uh, are attractive. And then, you know, if he, if that person is honest and, and wants to do God's will, uh, he'll look into the Catholic Church and he will go through this formal proof that we're doing today and have been doing for a while and will continue to do. So, um, uh, so we should start uh, Lesson 24. So... Uh, here he says we give a summary of the miracles of jesus so number 104 the cures a of lepers and then your author gives uh, many uh, citations of uh, the cure of lepers uh and uh it is only recently and your author says the lepers uh, are are even today thought to be incurable i think they have cured leprosy i think it by this time yeah, that's right, my uh, lord. I, I looked into this um, as I was researching the show, and it, it leprosy, of course, is uh, caused by a bacteria, and and with the advent of antibiotics, um, they they are able to kill the bacteria. But this book was written in the 1920s, and uh, mainstream use of antibiotics didn't happen until the 1940s. So yes, um, yes. One thing that stuck to my mind was that uh, the damage to the nerves and skin from leprosy can't be reversed even with today's medicine. Um, yes. But I get the sense that when our Lord cured the lepers, and there's more to it uh, further into the text, that all of these things were healed too. Uh, how else would people know they were healed at that time uh, if they still yes. re- retained the, the damage to their skin and to their, uh, to their nerves? So it's, uh, it's very yes. interesting that even now we can't really reverse leprosy like our Lord did. No, no. Uh, and that's... That's part of a miracle is that it be sudden and it be complete. see that that's that's a miracle demands that uh, that that aspect. so that's that's why they were to show themselves to the priests that they were made clean. It's the idea that they don't have these sores on them anymore and the the damage and all. So uh, but our Lord cured them simply by a word or by a touch. 
and uh, so that's a sign of a miracle. Uh, B, he performs cures of paralytics, and there are references there, which the uh, anyone who has the book can, can see. Uh, and by a mere word, and even when a person is at a distance from him, Jesus immediately cures the sickness. So we have the famous case of the centurion who came and uh, said his servant was ill, and our Lord said, I will come immediately. And the centurion gave the famous response, uh, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And it says that our Lord marveled at his faith and, and that he uh, never saw such faith in all Israel. Hmm. And that's in contrast to the Jewish um, official, Regulus in Latin, official who comes to him and his son is ailing. And uh, our Lord says, your son will be all right. But he demands that our Lord come. And uh, But our Lord says, he'll be all right. And so he goes home, and sure enough, at the hour in which our Lord said those words, the, the son was better. Mm. So, uh, But the, there's a big difference there. He wanted our Lord to come. And uh, so the, the, the Jewish official did not have as much faith as the centurion. Yes. Uh, and then he uh, he see he he cures blind men, and there are many references to that in the gospel. Uh, and he it says that he cured at least seven blind men, four by touch, one by anointing the eyes, and uh, one by a method not mentioned in the gospel. And you know we have to remember that what Saint John said that. You know, the gospel only contains some of the things that our Lord did. I mean, he was doing this, you know, 365 days a year for for three years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he went from town to town curing. You know, we're seeing only a, a slight uh, representation of the cures that he did and the miracles that he performed. Uh, so, you know, these are very short accounts of our Lord's life. St. John says, if you, were write, if you were to write everything down, the whole world could not hold the, the books. Yes. Uh, and, and D, uh, he cured a flow of blood, hemorrhaging, and there are references to, to those things in, in the book. Uh, e, uh, he cured a withered hand, Mark chapter 3, verse 5. A violent fever, F. Uh, St. Luke uh, chapter 4, verses 38 and 39. He cured the uh, G, the ear of Malchus. Malchus was the servant of the high priest who got his ear cut off uh, by Peter, and he healed that in Luke t uh, chapter 22, verse 51. Uh, H, uh, he uh, cured the deaf and dumb, uh, Matthew chapter 9, 32 to 36. I, he cured those suffering from the dropsy, Luke chapter 14, verse 4. And J, he cured someone of an unknown disease in, cha in John chapter 4, 47 to 54. So mm. uh, uh, the conclusion is that the natural means which Jesus sometimes used, not all the time, but sometimes used, were altogether incapable of producing these cures. For example, that, that he would touch somebody or that he put spittle on his hand and rubbed his his uh, 
hand on the eyes of the blind man. I mean, obviously, that isn't going to cure anybody of blindness. But he did those things as, as a sign, really, of the sacraments, that, that he will use physical things in order to give grace. And uh, he wanted us to understand that. Yes. Uh, so... Um, <clears throat> Uh, so the author uh, here in this book makes the point that uh, ordinary medicine uh, cannot make any sudden cure of anything. Uh, it, if it does cure something, it, it takes time to cure it. Even if, if you get a, a shot of an antibiotic, it takes some time. It's not as if you take a pill or you get a shot and, and you know, 30 seconds later you're, you're fine and you get up. Presto. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, no, it's all by natural means uh, that medicine cures, and where it does cure, in most cases, medicine is alleviating symptoms. Like even the common cold, there's no cure for the common cold. Mm. It's, there's things to alleviate symptoms, but there's no cure for it. Uh, and even after all this time, I mean, I remember hearing that when I was a child, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> and that was 60 years ago. And, and uh, <clears throat> after all this time, there's no cure for cancer. There's no cure for the common cold. And really, this, this, this cures for very few things, mostly of the bacterial order. You know, mm. pneumonia, bacterial pneumonia. But, you know, the, the virus still eludes science. Uh, a, an actual uh, cure for viral diseases uh, eludes us. Uh, yes. After all this time, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, shocking and amazing that as everything else progresses, as technology progresses, uh, internet and, and computers and all, that the, the, the medical world really hasn't broken out too much from, say, the 1940s or 50s in that regard. Yes. You know, yes, it's procedures, surgical procedures are much better and all of those things. But in as far as curing illnesses, it really has not broken out of what it was 50 or 60 years ago. Uh, and that, that's interesting. They certainly have a, they've even changed the language. They don't actually talk about curing in the medical fraternity. They talk about treatment, which is not as definitive. It's, it's sort of hedging their bets. Right. <laughs> yes. So. Yes. Yes. Where you you uh, essentially retard the disease. That's a treatment. Yes. Uh, but you don't really get rid of it. Uh, so, uh, um, I think importantly here, my lord, um, that the, the the author says uh, certainly no medicine cures persons at a distance from it, um, which yes. is uh, one of those really you know amazing things that uh, our lord was able to do. The Canaanite woman whose daughter was ill, and he said to her, uh, "Great is thy faith," because he tested her terribly. And and uh, great, O oh woman, great is thy faith, and and your your daughter will live. Uh, and he didn't even see the daughter. The daughter was ill someplace, and and she was a Canaanite woman. It's a very very moving. Uh, part of the gospel, the, the, the story of the Canaanite woman. Unfortunately, it does not occur on Sundays. It occurs in Lent. And uh, I think this year I'm going to give sermons, this coming Lent, 2017, I'm going to give sermons 
on the Gospels you don't see, <clears throat> those wonderful Gospels that occur in Lent that never come up unless you go to daily Mass, and you never hear a sermon about them. Excellent. So I want to pick a few, you know, each Sunday of Lent, uh, pick a Gospel uh, that comes up during the week and speak about those. So. Um, look forward to that. Yes, yes. So There's a footnote on bottom of page 105 where um, the author refers further to the testimony of Josephus, uh, which we mentioned yes. before in the, the book The Jewish War. And it's uh, mm -hmm. it's really well worth uh, the listeners reading it because it, it really describes, encapsulates our Lord um, from a, a, a pagan's point of view. Um, and well, could I could I uh, can correct you on one thing? It's a different work. It's not the Jewish War. It's the oh, Antiquities of the Jews. Yes, uh, and uh, yes. So we'll read it. It says it, it. He tells of the preaching, baptism, and death of John the Baptist, and the death of James, whom he calls a relation of Jesus. Now that's James uh, the. I think James the Less was uh, the relation of our blessed Lord. Uh, yes, and he was the first bishop of Jerusalem. James the Great was the one that went to Spain, and he was the first of the apostles to be put to death. Right. So James the Great was the brother of St. John. James the Less was the relation of our blessed Lord, and um, so, whom he calls a relation of Jesus. Josephus bears the clearest testimony to Christ himself in these words, There lived at this time a wise man, Jesus, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he did miraculous deeds, and was the master of those who joyfully embraced the truth. He drew to himself many of the Jews and many also of the Gentiles. This man was Christ, and when Pilate had condemned him to the cross at the instigation of the chiefs of the people, his followers did not cease from loving him as they had at, the, at, first, as they had at first begun to do. For after the third day he appeared to them alive, even as the divinely inspired prophets had predicted of him, and not only this event, but also, uh, but others also that were most remarkable. And even to the present day, the sect of Christians named after him does not disappear. I mean, that, that is, all of those things conform to history. There's not a yes. single historical uh, discrepancy in that. So uh, that's, that's very strong testimony. Yes. Uh, all right. And uh, then uh, number 105, the author speaks about miracles wrought on substances. So first our Lord changed the water into wine in John chapter 2. And then there was the catching of the fish where the, the apostles could not get any fish. And then at his command, they lowered the nets again and the nets were practically breaking. Uh, and uh, uh, then uh, the finding of the stator, that's the, uh, uh, that was the coin in the fish's mouth, uh, the coin of tax, uh, because our Lord paid tax. Yes. And uh, the uh, two uh, multiplications of loaves and fishes uh, in Matthew 14 and 15, uh, the, the calming of the tempest by a word, uh, and the walking on the water, the destruction of the barren fig tree by a word, uh, and then the transfiguration. Mm. 
So those are uh, miracles that concern substances of things. And then he raised according to the Gospels, that is, he may have done many more, but what we find in the Gospels are three people brought back to life from death. The one is the daughter of Jairus. The, uh, the second is the son of the widow of Name, And the third is Lazarus. Uh, the uh, Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus, was the greatest of all his miracles except for uh, the uh, resurrection itself. Yes. And that was the last of his miracles, and it was just the crown of all of his miracles because Lazarus purposely was left to rot in the tomb for uh, three or four, four days, I think it was. And, uh, and uh, he called him out. See, he did not even touch him just by the command, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus walks out in his, in his uh, in the cloths that, that you know, he was laid to rest in and walks out. And, and the people are, are just, you know, overcome uh, with, with wonder uh, that, that he could do this. But St. John gives so many details of that that it, it, you can just uh it's like a, a film in your own mind you it's, it's so detailed and you see say mary magdalene coming to our lord and martha coming to our lord martha gives him a little rebuke mm. saying if you had been here lord he would not have died yeah <laughs> you know the it, it's it's so human you know that that because martha was he was close to to martha and lazarus and mary magdalene and and uh so you just get a little sense of that. I mean, that she's filled with grief. Why didn't you come earlier? You could have stopped this. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, our Lord purposely let him die because word came to our Lord that Lazarus was ill. He was out in Jericho, which is over by the the uh, the the uh, out in the desert, east, way east of Jerusalem, at a good distance from Jerusalem, out east by the Jordan River. He was in Jericho. And word came that Lazarus was ill, and he purposely did not go. He purposely let him die. And um, so uh, he had, of course, his reasons. Yeah, it's a good good journey, you know, yeah. from Jerusalem. And uh, so he purposely let him die. But I, I always uh, find that interesting that Martha just gives him a little bit of a, of a <laughs> rebuke. And of course, he he you know overlooks it, and and uh, uh, and then Saint Mary Magdalene is you know very moved by uh, and actually makes him start crying, yes. uh, and and he's very moved. The the whole thing is is so vivid, uh, you know. It, it's you can just see it happening as you read those those. And then he comes to the tomb. It is surrounded by all of these people from Jerusalem. Uh, and and who are mourning with them, and there's this dramatic scene where the, the, the you know, where she says, "Don't roll it back because he's dead for four days and he already smells bad," and he orders the the rock to be uh, rolled back, which of course is a uh, prefiguration of his own resurrection. Yes, and and then says with that tremendous, he looks up to heaven. And, and thanks his father. I mean, it, it all is a buildup. And then he says that command, Lazarus, come forth. It, it just it just is a, 
every time I read that gospel, it occurs uh, the fourth, uh, I think it's Saturday of the fourth week of Lent, and that's when it occurs. It's a big, long gospel. Mm. And every time I read it, I, I love it. it it's just a, a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, the St. John, you see, he took seven of our Lord's miracles. Our Lord did many, many miracles, but he wanted to show our Lord's divinity. So he chose them very carefully. And uh, he, he also put the chronology better. And St. John's chronology is better than the others. The others kind of mix things up, you know, uh, categorize them differently. And, and, but St. John's chronology is very clear. You can see each year of his apostle very clearly. And uh, so they... Um, um, uh, I wish someone could do a, a, a movie of, uh, of our Lord's life... Um, before they, you know, to do some of these scenes justice, like the the resurrection of, uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, um, especially if you did it with today's uh, technology. But then again, it probably wouldn't be, uh, be a uh, anything on on what actually happened. It would only just be a representation. Yeah, once Hollywood gets a hold of it, you know. It's, <laughs> uh, and then it's how do you portray? How do you get an actor to portray our Lord? You know, it's very difficult. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but it is, uh, I think it's best left to the imagination. Yes. Uh, so, um, so then our Lord also expelled demons. All right. So that shows his power over the devil. Uh, and the author says, you know, the uh, effects of, of, um, uh, possession are similar to those of hysteria, but possession is not hysteria. Uh, there are some very clear distinctions. Hysteria is a disease of the nerves accompanied by a weakening of the sensitive faculties and a sudden increase in their perceptive powers. The person is powerless to move. Convulsions and rigidity of the body set in. Diabolic, uh, pos diabolic possession, however, is recognized by the following characteristics. Unknown tongues are spoken and understood. Absent things are known. There is extraordinary physical strength. The body is suspended at times in the air. The person conceives a violent hatred towards holy things and persons. And finally, there is the greatest stubbornness shown. Right, so the, the symptoms are quite clearly different. Hysteria is cured only very slowly. Whereas possession is something that is cured uh, quickly. Mm. So the uh, and then the author mentions various cases of uh, releasing devils or releasing people of possession um, in uh, in Mark chapter one and Luke chapter four. We read this. Quote, and there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? Notice the plural. Mm. I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. So this is the devil speaking in the man. Mm. And Jesus threatened him, saying, Speak no more and go out of the man. And the unclean spirit, tearing him and uh, crying out with a loud voice, went out of him. That's very typical of, of exorcisms. Mm. Uh, and uh, see, a, a possession is a case where the devil 
takes over your body uh, in such a way that he is using your vocal cords, he is using your imagination, he is using everything that is physical, that he can uh, have control over physically. Uh, he cannot invade your will or it cannot invade your intellect as such, but he can do things that disturb your will and disturb your intellect. But he can overtake and use your bodily functions, your hands, your feet, uh, your voice, everything that, that pertains to anything physical. See, so uh, typically in, in possessions, uh, people will, will speak in a voice that is not their own. Mm. So it's, it's kind of scary. Uh, yes. And in, in uh, Matthew chapter 8 and Mark 5 and Luke 8, we read of this incident, a possessed man of wonderful physical strength menacing the bystanders and travelers could not be controlled by anyone. And the demon confesses that his name is Legion, acknowledges that Jesus is the son of the Most High God and begs to be sent into the swine. And Jesus grants this permission and at once the possessed man is cured and the swine hurl themselves off the cliff into the sea. Is that the devil's name, Legion, or is that the uh, testament of how many devils are in there? No, well, that's what he said. It's my name. My name yeah. is Legion. Now, some take it to mean that is that, you know, there are many devils here. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it's a little obscure. But uh, the uh, then they uh, see the devil can control your hands and feet and, and can control uh, pigs and anything else. Mm. That, that can happen. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's something like, you know, they, they have, you know, your car is all full of computers now. And uh, they, they can control your car from, from some computer someplace. Yeah. You know, where the brake doesn't work or the accelerator accelerates too much or other things happen. You could have a horrible accident if somebody gets into your car computer hacks it and and you know you could go off a cliff mm. uh it's kind of scary <laughs> frankly but it is possible you know the, the uh, there's so much uh, computer uh, i mean i have a car that tells me when to fill up the tires when to fill up the gas and i look on my ipad and it tells me where the car is and, and how much gas is in it and when it needs its oils changed and so forth and so on. Yes. I can I can be in Europe and know where my car is. <laughs> Who's driving around my car? You've got the uh, secular government and, uh, possessing cars. <laughs> yes, you know, but that, you know that that could all be hacked. And, and, and But it's the same principle that the devil can essentially hack all of your uh, physical motor nerves, etc. And, and that's all attached to the brain. The brain is very similar to an electronic instrument because it's taking indications from the intellect and will and transferring them into physicality. That's, that's what it's doing. It's like when, you're, when your computer... Uh, orders the printer to print something that's just a, an electronic thing on the on the screen it makes it something physical it's it's the same kind of thing so never confuse the brain with the the intellect and the will the yes. brain is just a, a servant of those things 
and it is physical and there is electrical impulse involved there's all sorts of things that are quite physical in in the brain but the brain is meant to to take its ultimate uh signals from the intellect and the will see so if you say i want to move my arm you move your arm and you say that's all from the will yes see so anyway that that's that's what diabolical possession is and that that's why it's uh uh, it, the devil is capable of doing those things. And then in Mark chapter 9, verses 16 to 29, and Matthew uh, chapter 17 and Luke chapter 9, we read of this incident, quote, And one of the multitude answering said, Master, I have brought my son to thee, having a dumb spirit, who, wheresoever he taketh him, dasheth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spoke to thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. <clears throat> uh, and they brought him in. This is the gospel continues. And when he had seen him, he uh, immediately the spirit troubled him, and being thrown down upon the ground, he rolled about foaming. And he asked his father, How long time is it since this hath happened unto him? But he said, From his infancy, and oftentimes he cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. Jesus threatened the unclean spirit, saying to him, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command thee, go out of him and enter not any more into him. And crying out and greatly tearing him, he went out of him and he became as dead. So that many said, He is dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, lifted him up and he arose. Unquote. Mm. So these are incidents of <clears throat> um, uh, casting out devils. Yes. And in Matthew chapter 25, uh, we read that uh, Jesus expelled a demon from the daughter of the Canaanite woman, uh, although the daughter was at a distance from him. Mm. So we mentioned that already. Um, <clears throat> and there are other places that are mentioned uh, in the book as far as... Uh, uh, expulsion of demons. <clears throat> so uh, the author then says in number 108, these works done by Christ were at least physical marvels. They were true uh, physical miracles. Uh, and this is true from the following considerations. Uh, first, these marvels were not due to natural causes. For when Christ used some natural means in curing the sick, these means were altogether incapable of effecting the cure. Nor can it be said that Christ secretly used natural means, for this would make him an arch-deceiver, and he was the holiest of persons. Yes. Uh, B, supposing that the demons are pure spirits superior to men, we must conclude that man has no power to bind them, yet Jesus commands them. So it's a sign of his divinity. And also their reaction to him, their very violent reaction to him is a sign of his divinity. Mm. See, the miracles on substances as Jesus performed them are admittedly beyond any human powers. So how can a mere word of a mere man calm a tempest at sea? <clears throat> and D, to recall the dead to life is certainly beyond any mere human powers. Yes. Right? <clears throat> uh, and... Um, he 
answers the objection that these perhaps were done through a diabolical power. Uh, but that's not true because Christ was very holy and he preached and worked against the diabolical power. Right. <clears throat> just heard that uh, he cast out demons. So, you know, it's a bit, bit uh, counterintuitive, really. Yes. Now, in the footnote, there's an interesting thing. According to Justin the Martyr, now that's around 150 AD, and Tertullian, who's about 250 AD, two of the earliest Christian apologists, Pilate made an official report of the miracles of Christ to the Roman emperor. That would have been Tiberius. Celsus, an Epicurean philosopher, and who was very anti-Christian, mm. extremely so. As Origen says, Origen was a, a theologian of the 3rd century, around 250, says, admitted the truth of Christ's miracles. Yeah, he, he was... He was absolutely death on Christianity, but he admitted the truth of Christ's miracles. So did Porphyrius, the Platonist, Platonist, and Plotinus, and other pagan philosophers of the time. There you go. So you you wouldn't have that evidence if Christ's miracles were were a sham, or, or you know, there's, there's no doubt about it. Yes. So therefore, nor would you have had the the conversion of the Roman Empire if he were some kind of a charlatan. Yeah, indeed. And it says to conclude that that point uh, one hundred eight, the only cause of these marvels is God. Yes. And then in number one hundred nine, uh, he says, Christ worked these miracles to prove his mission. So he testified that all the works which he did were in confirmation of his mission. That's in John chapter 5. And he expressly declares that the cures of the paralytic and the man born blind and the resuscitation of Lazarus were divine testimony of his mission. So he says in the, in the resurrection of Lazarus, he gives a... Uh, see, Martha says to him, I believe in the resurrection on the last day. And he, he comes back to her very quickly. I am the resurrection and the life. Yeah. She's... You know, she doesn't understand yet, and and she's putting the whole thing off till the end of the world, and he's saying, "I am egosum." He say, uses the pronoun, "I am the resurrection of the and the life. He who believes in me uh, shall not die, etc., and uh, shall not die forever." And uh, so he uses that as a preparation for what he's going to do. And so he, he connects uh, what he does with a very serious message concerning the resurrection of the dead and his power to raise people from the dead. So it was not merely a favor for Martha and Mary Magdalene. This was not some sort of personal favor. Well, I'll, I'll bring your brother back to life and you'll be happy. This was a major, major event right next to Jerusalem. They lived, you know, you know, maybe in an hour's walk from Jerusalem over the hill, the Mount of Olives. And um, <clears throat> so, and many people from Jerusalem were there, and it says many people believed in him. And it was after that that the chief priests and Pharisees plotted to put him to death. Yes. <clears throat> so that was, a, you know, the miracle. Um <clears throat> Uh, B, he expressly declares that the cures of the paralytic and the man born blind 
and the, uh, and the resuscitation of Lazarus were a divine testimony of his mission. C, he asserted that the works which he did were works of the Messiah. And that's in Matthew chapter 11. And D, he taught that those who attributed his miracles to the devil sinned against the Holy Ghost. Yes. All right, so uh, he was very clear about what he was doing. Well, that clarifies and uh, wraps up that uh, that lesson, my Lord. So uh, I think we'll leave it there for the show, and thank you for your time. Um, uh, have you got anything else you'd like to cover before uh, before we wrap it up? No, I think for, uh, we've said everything concerning this. The author was very complete and very good. This book should really be digested by everybody. Yes. Well, in the next show, we'll we'll answer some of the objections to Christ's miracles, and we'll then get into exploring more about the resurrection uh, of our Lord. Just uh, very quickly before we close out, you got some tips on the presidential election, my Lord. Uh, it looks like the opposite of an embarrassment of riches in terms of uh, candidates. <laughs> Well, neither candidate is 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 good. I mean, that, that's the first thing to be said. I mean, uh, Trump is is a person who is uh, very worldly, and uh, you know has has a, a, a I would say a, an immoral uh, interest in women, and uh, it treats them very badly, and says nasty things to them and about them. I mean, there's there's something odd there. Yes, I think. But uh, but she is is a uh, hundred times worse than he is Absolutely. from the point of view of her policies. She's a radical leftist. She is a liar, a warmonger. Yes, she is. A, she uh, will continue that very very dangerous foreign policy that has led the United States into into perpetual war yeah. since the 1990s. We've or we're always at war, and uh, she wants to do that. She said that she would. Uh, in a debate, she said that she would do a no-fly zone in Syria. Yeah. Well, who's flying around Syria except the Russians? Is she going to shoot down Russian planes in Syria? I mean, what kind of a nut is she Absolutely. to say something like that? And, and uh, so, you know, she's a dangerous lady, both from her internal politics, in other words, the domestic politics that she would uh, promote, and also uh, the international scene. And she's not to be trusted. Uh, I, I think that she is guilty uh, as charged. Well, she wasn't charged, but she should be charged with with the uh, crimes concerning her use of the emails and so forth, yes. uh, and and other things. Uh, and uh, you know the Benghazi thing. Um, you know she's a thousand times worse than he is, and he, on the other hand, uh, will uh, do certain things. I, I uh, I'm sure that will benefit this country a great deal. So, you know, if we can tolerate his, let's say, his shenanigans, we might call it, uh, uh, you know, I do think that he would get things done. He's a doer yes. and he's no nonsense. And because he has so much money, he's incorruptible. Mm. Mm. I mean, who, who's going to offer him money? Absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, you, know, I, you know, I'm not real happy with the choice, but I'm certainly going to vote for Trump. Uh, his, his numbers came up after the last debate. Yeah. So... Nobody really knows who's going to win right now. No, it's certainly going to be interesting. So we might um, hold that thought for uh, the next show, which will be post the uh, U.S. election. And I think we'll leave it there, my lord. Um, really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for being with us this time, and we'll talk to you again soon as we continue this series. And God bless you. Thank you. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, please email questions at truerestoration.org. 
We want to remind you that Apologetics is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. All of us here at member-supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Phil Stone. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.